Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Amen. Y'all excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? It's good to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. Um, Just continue to keep the Mason family in your prayers as you uh, think of them. Uh, And then also as we prepare for solemn assembly, use these next couple weeks to to do some pre-praying. Amen. If you don't know what I mean, that means to pray about what you need to be praying about. Amen. That's it's helpful preparation and seeking the Lord on how he wants to move and do some things in you and use you for this upcoming year. Y'all excited about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting time. Why don't you stand with me? Open up to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one, as we continue our Advent series, here he comes. We're going to be in verses 18 through 24. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. If you're there, say amen. amen. You need some more time, say hold on. Amen. Matthew 1, 18 through 24. I'll read the evens. You guys read the odds. We'll read the last verse together. Y'all got that? Yeah. Amen. Here's the word of the Lord. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Altogether, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her. Amen. Extra scripture ain't a bad thing. Um, Let's pray as we dive into our text today, Jesus the God-man. Jesus, the God, man. Father, we are so grateful and thankful that we have the privilege to open up your word. Thank you for this season in particular where we have an extreme focus on the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to uh, be inspired by what it is that you did, uh, the uniqueness of who he was and his coming. Help us to not overlook uh, this nativity uh, scene that you've given us in your word. Help it uh, to not become boring to us or, 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 or just uh, something that we're so accustomed to that it no longer brings joy to our hearts or gets us excited uh, for all of your word is profitable. Um, and so we thank you for it. Uh, we give your name praise for it. And we pray that you would use it to change and transform us in every way. 
In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Jesus, the God-man. You know, there are, there are certain things that uh, typically, you know, mark this season of time throughout the year that, that everybody kind of does. Well, most people, a lot of people kind of do, you know. Um, you get into the mood of this Christmas season and people start decorating their homes with lights and uh, Christmas trees. And, you know, you put your reefs on the door. You know, you, you throw away your diet you've been uh, doing all year and give yourself room to eat all types of sweets and cakes and candies. And, um, but one of the things that, you know, you should do anyway, uh, that, that really kind of signifies that the Christmas season has begun is watch Home Alone. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Your Christmas season hasn't even really begun until you've watched Home Alone. And in, in that movie in particular, there's, there's two guys, Harry and Marv, that, um, that make use of their Christmas time by going around and robbing homes in a rich neighborhood. And one of the interesting things that they did was they dressed up like a police officer and they went to the homes ahead of time and spoke with the owners uh, and, and tried to make sure that they knew who was going to be in town and who was going to be out of town and what time they were leaving so that they could plan an appropriate time to go rob their homes. Right? It's actually kind of ingenious. And so, you know, they, they go about doing this, and when the time comes, they, they drive down the block, and they come up on these empty homes with the lights out and, and, and vacated by their owners who have gone off to these extravagant vacations, and they just look at each other and smile and just say, I love it when a plan comes together. And I can't help but imagine that this is a similar scene we see with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit right as they're about to send Jesus into the world, where they look at one another and they just smile and say, man, I love it when a plan comes together. All the things that they've been dropping in the laps of humanity, all the little nuggets that they've been giving to the prophets about this one who was to come, and I can just imagine seeing them with smiles on their face. They don't even know what's about to happen to them because this plan that we've been working out since the beginning of all time is about to come together. So we find ourselves in Matthew's gospel at verse 18, which really just brings me to my first point. As we think about this idea of this plan of God coming together, as we think about this idea of the Messiah who, who was alluded to over and over again that would come and restore Israel, as we think about this promised one, this anointed one of David who was finally to come, it's just clear that God leaves no doubt who Jesus is. He leaves absolutely no doubt, unequivocal evidence that this Messiah who was to come, this promised one who was nameless, now has been given a name. And so it says that the birth of Jesus came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant. Now, before we just run on, we have to understand that this, this idea of engagement was very different than the idea of engagement that we see today. 
right? Engagement then was a betrothal period where you went about choosing a spouse and entering into a legally binding agreement, a contract that you were now husband and wife. And so when you were engaged back in this culture, you were seen as husband and wife, which meant that unfaithfulness when you were engaged was, when you were engaged was counted as adultery. Meaning that if you were found to have been unfaithful and committed adultery, you could have rightly under the law been stoned to death. That's very different than today where you can call off an engagement just because you realize that somebody else was more attractive. Or you got the ring and it wasn't big enough. He said, it's, it's a different type of world that they're living in. And so there was a betrothal period that usually took about a year. And then they went on to have this great marriage ceremony uh, that usually lasted for about a week. Now, now y'all think y'all doing something because y'all spent $30,000 for a four hour little slot of time on one day. They was partying for a week, like chilling, partying hard, like all the best alcohol, all the best music, dressed fabulously. Ain't nobody got time to be taking off work that long. They was partying for a week, right? Now, let me tell you how serious this is. It's serious because marriage was not just individualized. It wasn't just about you and your beloved, right? Now, how, how do we know that? Because the entire community was there during this entire time, right? They were aware of this engagement and they held you accountable to the commitment of being husband and wife during the, patrol, the betrothal period. But then even when it came time to, 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 uh, to, to consummate the marriage, the community was there. And so the husband and wife would go to consummate and they would have to take the sheet that they just knew each other on. Amen, somebody. And they had to they had to they had to hand the sheet out the window because the sheet was evidence that she was who she said she was, meaning that in order for the marriage to be validated and verified, there needed to be blood on the sheet proving that she was still a virgin. And so this was a community effort identifying them as now being married because they were who they said they were. And so it wasn't this individualized, this thing was serious. Like it, 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 was, it was a serious matter to enter into a betrothal period in a time where you're already seen as husband and wife. So imagine this, husband and wife, and then you read the next line of this sentence in verse 18, that they had been engaged, she had been engaged to Joseph, but it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant. I, I think y'all missed that. Because the Bible said that before they came together, but if I was Joseph, I would have been like, all right, now we didn't come together but she came together with somebody. <laughs> so before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. I don't know if you understand how scandalous this is. Like, like this, this ain't some Cardi B offset stuff. Like this is, this is, this is legit, this is legit scandal. You couldn't just, you couldn't just be married or be engaged and then show up pregnant out of nowhere. 
You couldn't just show up pregnant out of nowhere and then say, oh, Joseph, man, you know, Joseph, because Joseph looking like, you know, Mary been away for a little bit. You know, she was chilling with her cousin Elizabeth. You know, we find out, you know, Luke chapter one, she chilling with her cousin Elizabeth. She come back home, go visit Joseph, like everything's still cool, like, like they going back to normal. Now, if I was Joseph, I'd have been looking at her like, like now, now, now I know I ain't touch you. And she would have been walking up on Joseph like, yo, I know what it looks like, but God did this. God did this. Like who, who you know, who, who you know gonna believe God did this, right? God had never done this before in human history. You know, it was nothing for God to take a woman who was barren and to give her the power to conceive. It was nothing for God to take who was a woman who was barren and was past her age of giving birth and give her an opportunity to conceive. But there was nowhere in human history where God took a woman who had never yet known a man and given her the power to conceive. This is crazy. This is crazy what God is doing. And yet God behind the scenes is like, man, listen, I have to make Jesus' birth so unique that there's absolutely nothing to compare it to. Even, even, even Mary, like listen to Mary's response. Luke chapter one, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, just rolls up on her out of nowhere and says, you found favor with God. I'd have been like, oh snap, that's what's up. <laughs> like, like God sent you to tell me he liked what you're all doing. Oh, uh, listen, but listen, you can, you can be excited about that until he continues on with God's message. You found favor with God, now you're going to give birth. God, how's that possible? I've never known a man. Don't worry about it. Power of God's going to come over you. Holy Spirit going to overshadow you. You're going to conceive. It's going to be of the Holy Spirit. Her response was, God, that's cool. I'll do whatever you want. Listen, she committed to obeying God in his word with joy, knowing what it was going to cost her. Listen, y'all not with me. Y'all not with me. She knew, she knew Joseph had never laid hand on her before. She knew what this meant for her to go back to her village and show up pregnant knowing that everybody else knew Joseph had never laid a hand on her. She was not just putting her reputation on the line, she was putting her life on the line. And she said, God, I'm so willing to obey you. I love you so much. I'll do whatever it takes no matter what it costs me. And listen, but Joseph ain't got no knowledge of this. And so Mary shows up, pregnant, and Joseph is like, huh, what? Before they came together, she was pregnant. But not just pregnant by anybody. Because Matthew's really clear that her pregnancy was by the Spirit. Because he wants his audience to know, listen, we don't, we don't want to leave any doubt for you to have any assumptions that maybe it was possible that Mary was out here in the streets. He says, nah, like, let's make this clear. No, she was never touched by a man. No, she was never touched by her husband, but she was touched by somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, now this, is, this is important 
that we understand this idea of what, like, what does this even mean that the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit? Why is it important that we understand this concept that God, the spiritual, the spirit supernaturally caused Mary to conceive. It's that that idea is a, a feminine singular relative pronoun, which means that Jesus's birth was done in such a way that Joseph didn't participate in any way. So when it says that the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the Jewish audience would have read that knowing that she got pregnant and Joseph didn't have any participation in it. Now, why is that important? That's important because in order for the Messiah to come, if he was going to save the world, he had to be sinless. In order for him to be sinless, he couldn't have come from the seed of a man. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says that and, and, and death came through one man and sin through death. Therefore, in order for God to be sinless so that he could accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish, he could not have been born from a man because he would have been imputed with a sinful nature. But Jesus was perfectly perfect, which means that he had to come from the seed of a woman, which is even weird in of itself because women don't have seeds. And yet God here is saying, listen, I need you to know that the importance of Jesus coming by the spirit means that he has spiritual heavenly origin, which means that even though he is perfectly 100% man coming from Mary, he is perfectly 100% God coming from me and circumvents the ability for him to have a sinful nature. He had heavenly origin, an earthly origin, fully human, fully divine. Why is this important? It's, it's important because Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was to come, had to fulfill all of the prophecies that God had given to the prophets in the Old Testament in order for him to signify that he actually was who he said he was. Now, if I can be honest, how many of us start reading the book of Matthew at verse 1? Some of y'all going to get that in a second. Most of y'all start the book of Matthew at verse 18. You know why? Because 1 through 17 is genealogy. <laughs> and y'all know we skip over genealogies all the time, right? But, 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 but li li listen, listen to this. Genealogies are so important. Because yeah. God sneaks little things in there that unless you pay attention, you'll just miss. And, and you'll just think that Jesus being the Messiah, being born of heavenly origin, an earthly origin, like you'll think that's dope, but you'll miss out on just the impact it is to have when it comes to him fulfilling the prophecies of being a son of David, right? Now, now listen to this. Matthew traces Jesus's lineage through Joseph, his legal father, not his biological father, but his legal father. Luke, in Luke chapter three, traces his origin through Mary, his biological mother, uh, and, not, and, and, and yeah, Mary, his biological mother. So listen, listen to what Matthew does. Matthew begins with Abraham and begins to work his way down all the way to Joseph, proving his legal ties through the line of David, right? Because in order for him to be the Messiah, he has to be a son of David, right? An actual biological heir to the throne, right? Now, if you notice, Joseph comes through David's biological line, and Jesus is legally tied to Joseph because of Joseph's marriage to, to Mary, Jesus' mother. Y'all with me? 
Now, what's interesting about this is there is a name that pops up in this lineage and, uh, of a king named Jeconiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 22, God tells Jeconiah because of his wickedness and his rebellion that there will never be one to come after you in your line that will ever sit on the throne. Now, why is this possible then that Jesus, who comes through the line of, uh, uh, of Joseph legally, can have claim to the throne even though Jeconiah is told that nobody on his line would sit on the throne? It's because he has legal access to the throne and circumvents the curse that God gave to Jeconiah that nobody in his biological line would sit on the throne, right? However, at the same time, listen to this, at the same time in Luke chapter 3, he goes through Mary's biological line. And Mary is a biological, uh, comes up biologically in the line of David, not through Solomon, but through David's other son, Nathan. Now, Nathan never sat on the throne, but, they, but Nathan had a biological right to the throne. And so Jesus biologically has rightful claim to the throne through his mother, Larry, um, Larry, Mary, <laughs> through, through his mother, through his mother, come back, y'all. Uh, he, he has biological claim to the throne through his mother, Mary, but he has legal right to the throne through his uh, father Joseph even though the curse exists from Jeconiah now it's funny because Luke doesn't just stop at Abraham Luke goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and says that in order for Jesus to be who he said he was he has to be the one who fulfills the prophecy given by God to Adam that says that one would come of the seed of a who a woman and so and so, so God, listen, listen how God set this up. God set this up and says, he says, I don't care which avenue you, avenue you try to use, whether you try to discredit his biological line, whether you try to discredit his legal line, no matter what you try to do, I'm gonna make it absolutely perfectly, unadulteratedly clear that Jesus is the one. said, I'm, I'm going to remove any doubt that you have that Jesus fulfills every prophecy. Yes. Anything that you could try to bring up against him to say that he's not who he said he is. I'm just going to let you know. It's interesting because Matthew even opens up in, in verse one here and he says, this is, this is an account of the genealogy, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now the son of David, that, that title or frame expresses a promised figure who would perpetuate David's line that would invoke the image of a Messiah who would come conquering. A mighty king who was David-like in his prowess as a warrior who would defeat all of Israel's enemies and reestablish the Davidic throne and bring back and usher in the golden days of Israel. And so as the people of, uh, of, uh, uh, the, the people of God, the, the Israelites, would hear this title, this son of David title, they would think of the Messiah who was coming to destroy the Roman oppression that they were experiencing. And so, man, God's going to send us this Messiah that's going to ride in on this big stallion, and he's going to come with sword in his hand, and he's going to be good-looking, tall, and handsome, and he's going to be able to fight, and he's going to destroy our enemies and reestablish the rule of Israel in the land. And yet, Matthew also calls him the son of Abraham. And it's interesting because Matthew here is highlighting for us that the Messiah was not coming just to restore glory to Israel, but that he was coming to fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when he says that all of the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Yes, yes. And so Matthew here is keying us in to the fact 
that the Messiah's role is both twofold. He's going to come to save Israel, but he's also coming to save the world. That way Israel can get off of their high horse and thinking about the Messiah was just about them. That the coming of the Messiah was just for them. And Matthew here is letting his Jewish audience know, listen, y'all have started to have a truncated view of what God is doing in the world because you think his saving grace is just for you when he's just using you to make himself known in the world so that everybody else would know that the same God that you serve is coming to save them too. So he says, says she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 says, so, so, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and you, you got to be a righteous man to do what Joseph did. Jo- Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, I'm glad Joseph ain't had social media back then. Because Mary would have went viral for all the wrong reasons. But imagine this. In their culture where there was so much shame put on that, to what, like what that would have looked like. This man had every right in the world to divorce her publicly and distance himself as far as he could from all this drama that was about to take place. But Joseph was such a man of character that he didn't allow the offense to cause him to respond in a way without thinking through how it would impact her future. He said, yeah, I know that you cheated on me. Now he believes that she cheated on him because he said he's he's still going to divorce her. He's just going to do it secretly. But imagine being of such upstanding character that even when somebody hurts you, you still think about their good. He knew that this, she would never recover in her life. She would never recover if she wasn't stoned. She would never recover from being outed as an adulteress, which means she would be off the table from ever being married again. This absolutely meant poverty for her. Because no man would touch her and her father would disown her. She would have nobody to get income for her. Which means she would end up homeless, dead, dead broken naked. Let's just put it that way. That would have been Mary's life. And Joseph is such a man of character. He says, man, I, I know she deserves it, but I'm not going to do that to her. Does that remind you of somebody? I know they deserve it. But I'm not going to do that to them. Verse 20 says that after he had considered these things. Now, that lets you know that Joseph was wrestling. That, that means he didn't, he, the, the offense didn't just let him make a rash decision about how he was going to behave. The, the Bible said after he considered these things, which means he was going back and forth in his mind like, man, this ain't the Mary that I knew. This ain't the Mary that I was about to get married to. Like, I don't understand what's happening here, but something is just off and I can't be with her no more. But I still am going to think about putting, like, putting her down and putting her away in a way that doesn't disrupt her ability to have some sort of success in life in the future. And so he considered these things. He considered these things until an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. You know, it's, it's funny 
how hearing from God changes your perspective. Joseph heard the same message from Mary and was ready to divorce her. Then he hears the same message from God and he's all about his father's business. See, there's just something about hearing from God where when you know that God has spoken to you, you're ready to move forward come hella high water, no matter what trouble awaits you in the future, no matter how bad people will talk about you, no matter what friends and families will leave you with. He says, like, when I hear from God, I'm ready to move. Like, how, how many of us are actually like that in our spirit? Where you hear from God and you're ready to move forward in obedience despite what may come your way. Because you know in your heart of hearts, no matter what I got to deal with, no matter what trouble may find me in my front door, no matter what people may say about me, I may be all alone by myself, but as long as I got God with me, as long as he's on my side, I'm going to be all right. There was just something about hearing from God that changed him. He said, the, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, imagine what people would have said about Joseph knowing that his wife was pregnant before he touched her and marrying her anyway. Imagine what they would have said about his manhood. Listen, I don't think y'all understand this. The God of creation was born to a mother and an adopted father that were talked about every single day of their lives. Imagine Jesus as a child, the God of the universe. Oh, there go Jesus. You know his, who his mom is. This is the God of creation. And everybody's thinking that his mom works on the corner and his dad is a punk for, for keeping him. Imagine what they say about his family. See, Jesus didn't just grow up in some rich family where they were looked at and, and like everybody's like, oh man, man, Joseph and his sons and, and Mary, his mother, man, that's just a really good family. No, there was some drama surrounding their family. People thought that Mary was just out here getting it with anybody and everybody, and Joseph was that dude who was just punked. Can you imagine growing up in this family? The ridicule? And this is God. The God of heaven. He, he said, he said, my... My birth has to be so uniquely different. And in order for it to be so uniquely different, it's going to cost me some things. If you don't think Jesus' reputation was already mired before he even started his ministry, just look at how he was born. He said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You are to name him Jesus because 
he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus was a popular name in first century Judaism, given to sons as a symbolic hope of the Messiah that God was going to bring uh, uh, in his anticipation for saving uh, the people. And yet the angel here draws on a less popular theme of what the name Jesus means. One that is less popular, but more important. Whereas the people hear the name Jesus and think salvation from Roman oppression, the angel here says Jesus and means saving from sin. See, the, the Jews thought that the Messiah was coming to, to save them from their Roman enemy, and the angel here is communicating through Matthew that the Messiah was coming to save them from their biggest enemy, which was themselves. He said, now, the, the consequence of yourself being your biggest enemy is you have an even greater enemy in God. The only way to take care of the real enemy that you have in God is to have somebody come and save you from your sins. So while you're steady thinking about this earthly enemy that you got, where it may take care of your hunger issue, your pain issue, your discomfort issue, your land issue, I, I, I want to take care of an issue for you that has eternal consequence. And he says, remind the people that this Jesus is bigger than the Roman Empire. There's always another empire that's going to come. But there's nobody that can just deal with your sin issue unless it's God. So he says, remind the people, listen, this, this Jesus is the one who saves. But just, he doesn't just save from anything. He saves from sin. See, that's why the people were confused when Jesus started his earthly ministry. They didn't like Jesus too much because all his claims of being the Messiah went on deaf ears because they were looking for the one who would save them from Rome. And he was trying to get them to understand he was trying to save them from God. The angel or Matthew goes on and says that this message from the angel that came to Joseph came about to fulfill the prophecy that uh, Isaiah had given Ahaz over in Isaiah chapter 7. He says that th there will be a virgin who will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel. See, Jesus got a bunch of nicknames, right? And, and, and this, this, this idea, Emmanuel, is translated, Matthew says, God is with us. So you have him as Jesus, God saves, and Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus... God saves, and Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, God saves, that's what he does. Emmanuel, God with us, is who he is. And so Matthew here is communicating that Jesus' fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah chapter seven is it gives us a picture of not only who he is, but also what he came to do. So this idea of the fact that Jesus was both God and man comes from this realization that he has to come save you from your sins. And if he's going to come save you for sin, from your sins, you have to know that only God can do that. That's why he's God with us. Yeah. See, the angel was communicating something significant in these verses as he's talking to Joseph. He's saying that this God, this Messiah that we're waiting on is also God. And that God took on humanity so that he could live like us to die for us. That he who was spirit became flesh. 
That he who was unlimited put on limitations. That he who had all power experienced weakness. That he who was eternal tasted death. See, he had to be God and he had to be man. Because who can atone for the sins of man except for a man? And who can satisfy the righteous requirements of God except for God? That's why Jesus had to be 100% God and 100% man, and it should matter to you. Now, the reason that Jesus being 100% God and 100% man should matter to you is because you need somebody to empathize with you, but also somebody who can actually do something about it. See, listen, if, if I'm drowning, I don't want somebody who knows what it feels like to have drowned. If I'm trapped in a fire, I don't want just somebody who knows what it feels like to be trapped in a fire. If I'm dying of sickness, I don't just want somebody who's been sick before. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a dire situation, I don't need somebody that can only merely empathize with where I am. I need somebody that can empathize because they know how I'm struggling, but also has the power to change something about my circumstance. Has, some, has the power to, to do something about changing the situation that I find myself in. See, the, the full humanity of Jesus means that he can relate to what you're going through. But the full deity of Jesus means that he can actually change your circumstance and do something about it. And that's why the importance of Jesus being God and man is so significant for us. Because the Bible says that he was fully man and experienced the weaknesses of humanity yet without sin. And, and because he was without sin, it gave him the right to die on the cross on behalf of man for sin. And yet when he died on the cross, the grave had to release him because he had never sinned. And the consequence of sin was death. And so when he got into the grave and died, the, 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 the death was looking for the certificate of sin that validated the fact that he shouldn't be dead, but he couldn't find the certificate. And so he said, man, I can't find nothing on Jesus recording any sin in his life. And so he had to spit him up out the grave. And death said, I couldn't hold him no more because even though he's a man, he's never been, there's never been one like him before. See, every other man since Adam to Abraham to Seth to David, to Solomon, to Enoch, to every other man in the Bible, I've been able to find some record of sin on him. But this one, Jesus, is different. It's just something about this Jesus laying in this grave that's just so different. Ain't no sin on his record, so I got to give him up. And Jesus got up from the grave three days later with all power in his hands, all victory in his hands, all might in his hands. And that was the validation that God wanted to show us that Jesus, the Messiah, who was full man was also God so this holiday season as we as we celebrate the reality of who Jesus is I want you to remember that if you got any doubts about who he is God has made it perfectly clear father we pray and we thank you God for your word we thank you Lord for the perfect record of Jesus Christ that the Bible could describe him as one who did everything that pleased the Father. That he was perfect in every way. But he was human in every way. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that we have one who can sympathize with our weaknesses. But that one also sits at the right hand of God, the right hand of power, and mediates for us on our behalf. And he can say, God, I, I know they're struggling, but, but do you remember when I went to earth? 
I remember what they're going through. God, why don't you save them anyway? Why don't you give the, your hand of mercy on them anyway? And so, Father, times like this when we reflect on who Jesus was and all that you uniquely set up to get him here, the only thing we have on our lips is thank you. Who would have thought salvation would have come this way? So we say thank you. Who would have thought that your plan would have been executed flawlessly? So we say thank you. Who would have thought that all of the schemes of the enemy would have failed? So we say thank you. For there is not one promise of the Lord that has failed us yet. And we say thank you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.